The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide those who mourn in Zion, to give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord to display his glory. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Strangers shall, uh, shall stand and feed your flocks. Foreigners shall, uh, shall, till your land, shall till your land and dress your vines. But you shall be called priests of the Lord. You shall be named ministers of our God. You shall enjoy the wealth of the nations, and in their riches you shall glory. Because their shame was double, and dishonour was proclaimed as their lot, therefore they shall possess a double portion. Everlasting joy shall be theirs. Our next reading is Acts 1, 1-11. In the first book, Theolopophus, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning until the day when he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. After his suffering, the present, uh, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While standing with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom of Israel? He replied, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Uh, Jesus has just said in the passage we've just read from Acts chapter 1 uh, that the Spirit will come in power uh, to make his disciples witnesses to him in the world. Uh, this is what happens, this kind of moment that we've just kind of reenacted for you a little bit here. The Spirit is here. He's come in a new way to be with God's people in a new way. Uh, the Spirit throughout the Scriptures is uh, spoken of as breath, as wind, uh, this idea that, it's a, that he is a, a force who gives life, 
uh, that he breathes energy into things. Uh, creation, uh, he hovers there over the waters. Uh, the Spirit is there breathing life into all that God has made. He breathes life into creation. He breathes uh, God's image into uh, humans, into Adam and Eve as they're created. Uh, he's present with Israel as they walk through the wilderness uh, as a cloud and fire, like those fire of tongues that we uh, see in Acts chapter 2. The Spirit's present, breathing life and wisdom and power into the kings of Israel. He's present, as we've seen in recent weeks, recent weeks uh, giving life and energy to Jesus in his ministry. He's there at Jesus' baptism. He's there in Jesus' preaching. He's there in Jesus' deeds of power. He's there with Jesus in his death and in his resurrection as well. But now, here, at this moment, at Pentecost, the Spirit is here in a new way. He's entered into the world in a more intimate, more powerful way than he's been present with God's people before. He lives in each person who calls Jesus Lord. Why has the Spirit come in this way? What's this dramatic moment with all this beautiful, kind of uh, powerful displays of, of God's power and goodness? Why has the Spirit come like this in this new way? That's what we're going to think about a little bit this evening as we come to the end of this series we've been working through in the Holy Spirit, the end of our uh, four weeks, investigating what God says about who his Spirit is, about what he does, about why he's come, about how he works. We're going to do that as we think tonight about the Spirit in the world. We're going to see what it is that Jesus says about uh, sending his Spirit in that dramatic way that we see at Pentecost and into our lives, into our hearts, into yours and mine as we trust and follow Jesus together. Let's kind of go a little bit bigger picture for starters though and talk a little bit about our experience of our own life here in the world and see how the spirit in the world interacts with that. Uh, I don't know about you but it often feels to me uh, as though our culture is getting a harder and harder place to talk about Jesus. Uh, really, any matter of faith and religion is off-limits for lots of people in our culture. Less and less people self-report as Christians. Uh, less and less people know a Christian personally. Uh, more and more Christians are met with hostility when they speak about their beliefs publicly. More and more the claims of Christianity are belittled and uh, dissected and shown to be incompatible with modern life and living. Uh, our world often seems hostile to Jesus and deeply sceptical about Christian claims. Uh, it makes you ask yourself the question, I don't know if you've ever asked this for yourself, in a culture like ours, that's so hostile, that's so sceptical, why would anyone ever follow Jesus? How does anyone ever get to the point of saying, yes, I'm going to trust Jesus as my Lord? Well, as we've mentioned, we're wrapping up our series on the Holy Spirit tonight. We began uh, in the first week by learning that the Spirit's whole purpose, his obsession, if you like, is to glorify Jesus. Uh, we've seen in the weeks uh, following on from that that uh, the Spirit glorifies Jesus in me, in you and I as individuals, growing us in holiness. The Spirit glorifies Jesus in us as he creates a diverse uh, community, unified in love and service to God and to one another. And tonight we see how the Spirit glorifies Jesus in the world, even, believe it or not, in a hostile and sceptical world like Sydney in 2019. And what we see as we watch how the Spirit interacts with the world, how he works in the world, especially in the book of Acts in those early days of the proclamation of the gospel after his resurrection and ascension, what we see is that the Spirit glorifies Jesus in the world in and through us. 
He makes us a part of Jesus' mission in the world that the Spirit carries on and empowers. In Acts 1, which Georgia read for us just before, Jesus himself tells us the purpose for which he sent the Spirit to his people. Uh, Acts chapter 1, uh, verse 6. Now, when they had come together, they asked Jesus, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, It's not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus sends the Spirit to empower his people to be his witnesses in his world. And the Spirit does that, glorifying the Son through us as he makes us witnesses to Jesus, working in us to speak about and to live for him. We're going to unpack this a little by looking at the Spirit's work in this world, uh, in this hostile uh, world, this sceptical world, uh, and a world which is also disconnected. We're going to do that, as you can see on the screen, by looking at a couple of passages that we haven't had read for us yet. I'm going to read them for us in just a moment, uh, particularly looking at Acts and a little bit of 1 Corinthians. Uh, So let's unpack each of those things in turn. Uh, Let me read to you a little bit from Acts chapter 4. It's on page 888, if you'd like to follow along in the Bibles that are in your pews. Uh, Acts chapter 4, we're going to start at verse 23. Uh, Jesus is, uh, not Jesus, Luke, that's that's the guy who wrote Acts. Thank you for all helping me out with that moment just then. Luke is writing here about a moment where Peter and John uh, have been uh, proclaiming the good news of Jesus and healing people in Jesus' name. Uh, they get in trouble from the religious authorities. They go, don't talk about Jesus. We don't want to hear about Jesus. We can't deny this great thing you've done in healing this man, but don't talk about Jesus. They eventually let Peter and John go, and then uh, the disciples, together with the other believers, get together to pray about what's happened, and that's what we read from Acts 4, verse 23. After they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard it, they raised their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth, the sea and everything in them, it's you who said by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples imagine vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers have gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. For in this city, in fact, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look at their threats and grant to your servants to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. When they prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. It certainly feels like our world today is uh, hostile to the things of God. As we've noted, it's harder and harder to be a witness to Jesus, to be a Christian in our world openly and honestly, can bring real uh, comfort, uh, discomfort and conflict in a way that hasn't always been the case in our, uh, in our culture. A religious conviction of any kind, especially faith in Jesus as Lord, is less and less thought of as kind of just silly or a bit embarrassing, and more and more thought of as downright evil and dangerous. You see this kind of thing in our media all the time, but it's when you experience it firsthand, I think, that it really begins to hurt and can really affect your willingness, your openness to actually speaking about Jesus publicly. 
Uh, just this week, I heard of a member of our, our church at our morning congregation who was uh, talking with another parent from her kid's school. Uh, when they found out that she was a Christian, the very first question that their friend asked them, without drawing a breath, was, so how did you vote in the same-sex marriage plebiscite? Really? I mean, that's the, the first and most interesting question you have when you find out that someone's a Christian? On one hand, of course, maybe it's not really that surprising. Uh, we live in a culture of hostility toward Christian faith, and Christians are fair game even to their friends in a lot of ways, a lot of the time. I've got another friend who's part of a refugee advocacy group in her local area. It's a mums group, actually. It's a mums for refugees group. Uh, a few of the other members of this group spend a lot of time ranting about how those conservative Christian types are the root of the problem when it comes to our nation's treatment of refugees. They're so lacking in love and kindness, etc., etc. They say this knowing full well that my friend is a Christian. She's there with them in this Mums for Refugees advocacy group. And she had to work up the courage over time to be able to say, guys, you know that that's me you're talking about, right? That, that I'm one of those people who are apparently the problem here doing this thing, caring about it deeply, working on it with you. These people knew that my friend was a Christian, but somehow they hadn't put two and two together. Hostility was their default stance, even against the evidence of their own experience. Now, in a world of hostility like this, it's very easy, even very understandable, uh, to want to just keep your head down, to just kind of get on with life and not really speak up all that much, not really share that much about what you believe, what you think about things. Uh, for most of us, and I really think this is true, uh, for most of us, it's not because we're ashamed of Jesus or his gospel. It's not because we don't think that people really need Jesus, that we don't believe that each person's most urgent need is to turn to Jesus to find forgiveness and receive grace in him. It's just that in our culture, sticking your head above the parapet often results in a whole lot of flack coming your way. So how do we face up to this? How do we face our own fears? How do we learn to be faithful witnesses even when there's opposition? How does the mission and message of God's Son go out in a hostile world like ours? Well, what we see in the New Testament and especially in the book of Acts is that that is the Spirit's work. This is what the Spirit is doing in the world. He's taking the good news of Jesus into the world, even in the face of great hostility. Uh, the book of Acts describes the first kind of few decades of uh, the mission of Jesus' followers after his death and resurrection and ascension. And what we see in Acts is the Spirit directing and empowering God's people for his mission. The mission very quickly is met with hostility. We've seen a little bit of that in Acts chapter 4. Uh, Peter and John get summoned before the religious authorities. They get threatened to not speak the name of Jesus anymore. They refuse, the authorities kind of back down because they've just done this awesome miracle and there's not really much you can do about that. The miracle happened, so they kind of just let Peter and John go for the time being. Uh, in the section that I just read for you a moment ago, the apostles, together with the rest of the believers, gather together to pray in response to these experiences. Uh, they note that this is always how it was going to be. They quote from Psalm 2 in their prayer, uh, that this is what God has said the rulers of the world will always do. They'll rise up against God because they want to be the rulers. Uh, and so what they do is they pray and they ask for boldness. Just notice that. They don't pray for protection. They don't pray for the hostility to cease, even though both of those things would be perfectly all right to pray for, I think. Instead, what they pray is that God will make them faithful witnesses, even in the face of hostility. 
And God answers their prayer. Verse 31, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. This boldness to bear witness to Jesus is the Spirit's work in the world through God's people. The Spirit glorifies Jesus by making his people bold to proclaim the good news. It's worth, I think, uh, looking a little bit more closely at what the believers actually ask for in prayer. Uh, Have a look with me at verse 29. Uh, And now, Lord, look at their threats and grant to your servants to speak your word with all boldness. Uh, What they do pray for here is boldness. But notice what they don't pray for is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. They are filled with the Spirit, And their filling with the Spirit is God's gracious answer to their prayer. The Spirit's the one who makes them bold in answer to their prayer. The reason I think that's worth noticing, that they are filled with the Spirit, but it's not actually what they've prayed for, is because it shows us something about what being filled with the Spirit is all about. Uh, Being filled with the Spirit is not first and foremost about your own experience. Being filled with the the Spirit is not first and foremost about uh, some kind of transcendent moment of realising God's glory and goodness in a new particular way. Being filled with the Spirit is first and foremost about glorifying Jesus as his faithful witness in the world. Uh, You might remember, we've uh, said throughout this series, because it's true, this is why we've said it, it's true, but also really, really important to get right. The Spirit isn't a force or a liquid of some kind, like a potion that you just kind of get enough of and then you get his power. The Spirit isn't an idea or a concept. The Spirit is a person. And that means that if you have the Spirit, you have the Spirit. You can't have the Spirit more or less. If you love Jesus, God's Spirit lives and works and breathes in your heart, and you can't get him in a different kind of way than what you already have. These same people, in fact, who are filled with the Spirit and proclaim boldly in Acts 4 have just had that remarkable experience of Pentecost when the wind comes and the flashing lights and they had some flames on the projector screen, all that kind of stuff that you read about in Acts 2. Uh, The rushing wind and tongues of flame that marks the Spirit coming to be with God's people in a new, more intimate, more powerful way, they've just had this experience days before. They know they have the Spirit And so being filled with the Spirit here can't mean that they're all of a sudden getting something that they don't already have. There are plenty of moments in Acts, actually, where people are filled with the Spirit, and it turns out they all have to do with glorifying Jesus. And when the Spirit is first given, as we've just seen, Jesus' followers are filled, and what do they do after that Pentecost moment? They proclaim the news of Jesus in other languages, so that all the world can begin to hear this good news of Jesus. In Acts 4, as we've seen, Peter's filled with the Spirit and speaks boldly to the hostile authorities... And the believers are filled with the Spirit and speak boldly as well. In Acts chapter 6, Stephen and others are described as full of the Spirit and on that basis are chosen for the important ministry of caring for the widows and the dispossessed. Stephen again is filled with the Spirit in Acts chapter 7 as he witnesses to Jesus at his martyrdom. Paul is filled with the Spirit and speaks boldly in the face of opposition in Acts 13. Being filled with the Spirit is about witnessing boldly to Jesus and especially actually in speech in the way that you speak about Jesus. Uh, One writer puts it like this uh, I think very helpfully. Uh, He says the book of Acts is the story of the rushing wind of the Spirit to empower the earliest Christians to proclaim Jesus the Messiah, to bear witness to what God has done in him. The Spirit gives the ability to speak, to communicate, This is not a random expression of power. 
The Spirit's main work is to enable and empower speech, the message about Jesus, the gospel. Now, the Spirit is always fully present in and with those who belong to Jesus. But it seems to be especially so when there are moments where real bravery and energy is required for witnessing to him. Uh, remember, of course, the Spirit is a person. Uh, and uh, you might know some close friends or family members uh, who uh, you are, have as like special go-to people when you've got things going on in your life and you need some assistance with it. Uh, they're there with you all the time. Your relationship is there even when you're not physically present with them. Your relationship is there even when things are just ticking along all right. But you're probably more aware of that relationship in moments when you face real struggles. At that moment, uh, those moments, your friends or family are often with you in a particular way, getting alongside you to encourage you and support you through some particular circumstance. Uh, we can think of being filled with the Spirit in the same kind of way. It's not an additional filling. It's not getting more of the Spirit. What it is is a moment of particular need during which the Spirit's ministry to us is particularly apparent. Uh, it's, if you like, a, a particular awareness of God's presence with you and work in you at those moments that helps you to do what God is calling you to do. It's not that he's not there and then, he, and then all of a sudden he is, but that there's particular moments where you see his work more clearly. Uh, another writer uh, puts it like this. I think this is helpful as well. He says, The Spirit's filling in Acts is the Spirit giving the believer what he or she needs for the next step of obedience to the divine will and service in God's kingdom. It's those real moments of wrestling with whether or not you will speak, with whether or not you will give in to temptation, with whether or not you will go where God's leading you in growing in holiness and in love and service to others. It's at those moments that the Spirit's filling gives you the strength and the power that you need to continue to do what God has called you to. So what have we seen so far, we've seen over the last few weeks that the Spirit's work in you and me is to grow us in Christ-like holiness, that the Spirit's work in us is to build us together as a diverse but unified community around Jesus. And now we see that the Spirit's work in the world is to see Jesus glorified through the witness of his people. He does that even at particular moments where real boldness is required. None of this means, of course, and I think this is important to say, none of this means that it's going to be easy. I think when you have those filled with the Spirit moments, it doesn't mean that, uh, oh, I feel awesome and great, and this is the easiest thing in the world. No, no, that's not what's going on. In fact, often being filled with the Spirit comes in moments, I suspect, of real weakness. I don't want to do this. I'm terrified about having this conversation. And yet the fact that you do it, that's the Spirit's work and filling in you at that moment. Doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to feel good about it, but it means that he gives you the power and the strength and the trust in the Lord Jesus to do what he's called you to do. Uh, what might that look like to be uh, bold witnesses in the power of the Spirit? I want to give you one example uh, from some members here among us, actually. Uh, Ross and Christian were hanging out a little while ago, uh, last year sometime, I think, uh, at a Temperance, having a drink, as you do, because in a Western Temperance and hanging out with people, that's just who we are. Uh, they were hanging out uh, at Temperance together, just uh, having a bit of a chat uh, and uh, talking uh, eventually about how church was going, uh, how their uh, faith was going, how their walk with the Lord Jesus was going. Some guy sitting at the table behind them overhears them and he turns around to them and says, so you guys are talking about kind of like religious stuff? Are you guys Christians or something? Yes. They, they respond, much more manly than that, I'm sure. I wasn't there, so I, I can't say 
And he says to them, you know, can I ask you some questions? And they're, sure. I mean, it wouldn't be great if every kind of conversation about Jesus started that way. Oh, hey, can I ask you some questions? Sure. And the question that he asked was, he said, um, I want to ask what you guys think about homosexuality. Great. Had to be that one, of course, didn't it? Uh, here's what, uh, what Ross, I think it was Ross, said in this moment that I think was a real moment of spirit-led, spirit-filled boldness, of real wisdom. Ross's response to this guy was, how do you want me to answer that question? Isn't that a good response? Not seeking to turn around straight away and go, all right, here's my list of things that the Bible says about homosexuality or kind of, you know, getting on the defensive straight away. How do you want me to answer that question? The guy's response, right? The guy's response was, well, I'm gay, and so I guess take that into consideration as we talk about it. I mean, how different could that conversation have been if Ross hadn't asked that question, right? Uh, how much easier would it have been to do real hurt and damage accidentally, unintentionally? Instead, it was the beginning of a conversation with, with some real thoughtfulness and wisdom and grace. Um, a conversation that, uh, I don't know, I don't think, have you guys seen him again since then? No, I didn't think so. Um, but a moment, right, and who knows what God will do with that. A moment of real, actual, spirit-filled, spirit-led proclamation of Jesus. That's the kind of thing that it looks like, I think, to be bold witnesses of Jesus in the power of the Spirit. Now, not to belittle what I think is a really great story from Ross and Christian, but, you know, in some senses, that's easy, right? Random guy you're never going to see again in the pub asks you a few questions, right? It's so much harder with your own friends who are close to you, with your own family members in all kinds of ways. To have these conversations in ongoing ways again and again, it can be a real, real hard slog. But what you see in Acts and what God's promise to you is, is that he's with you by his spirit to empower you for these moments. This is the spirit's work in the world. God present in the world to take the good news of Jesus to the whole world using you. And he promises to be there with you to embolden you, to give you what you need, to give an answer for your faith in those moments where you're called upon to do so. That's how the spirit works in a hostile world. The Spirit also works in uh, this world of ours, which is quite sceptical. And so we're going to have a bit of a think about that now. Uh, this is the second reason, really, why witnessing to Jesus can be so hard in our world. Uh, Scepticism is kind of our default stance in our culture. Doubt is kind of our normal response to things. Uh, something's got to be proven according to a strict set of scientific and rational principles. All claims are to be doubted on principle until proven true especially if there's some kind of power claim or objective truth claim involved. And so the responses we often hear in our culture when the things of God are raised uh, come usually in the form of questions, but not real questions. You know the kinds of questions you hear where the person asking the question already knows what they think the answer is. Some examples of these, these are largely good questions, right? But so often they're asked with the answer already assumed. Can we really know which of the many religions in human history are true? Not a bad question, but usually asked, assuming that the answer is no. How could a good God allow suffering? Really good question. But often with the presumption that, you know, obviously a good God couldn't allow that and therefore the whole thing's bunkum. Doesn't Christianity do psychological harm to people who don't fit its narrow teachings? Answer, well, obviously, and therefore it's to be avoided. Can a truly rational person believe in something that isn't material, that can't be tested and taken hold of? Could uh, what Christians believe possibly be true, given the evils the church has done? 
Can we really believe anything that was written in a book a couple of thousand years ago? Don't we all know that dead people don't rise from the dead? You hear these kinds of questions all the time in our culture, uh, usually with an answer already assumed. Kind of makes you uh, wonder if uh, uh, anyone ever become a Christian in a world like ours. In a sceptical world like ours, isn't it just a total miracle that anyone ever puts their trust in Jesus? That anyone ever gets beyond these questions? It might seem like a miracle, but of course the truth is that someone putting their trust in Jesus is always a miracle. Because no one believes in Jesus on the basis of their own rationality or their own experience. The Spirit's work in our sceptical world is to reveal spiritual realities to unspiritual people. Now, people becoming Christians is the Spirit's work. Uh, we see this uh, in a uh, passage that you see up there on the screen, uh, the second chapter of Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. I'm going to read some of it for you. Uh, it's on page 927, if you want to read along in the Bibles in your pews, page 927. Uh, let me read it for you, uh, what Paul has to say here about the Spirit's work in a sceptical world. Uh, 1 Corinthians 2, starting at verse 12. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world but the Spirit that is from God, so that we may understand the gifts bestowed on us by God. And we speak of these things in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual things to those who are spiritual. Uh, in one sense, what Paul's saying here, right, is that the great kind of dividing line that runs through the world is between people who trust Jesus and people who don't. But here in these terms, right, people who are spiritual or not spiritual, if you trust Jesus, you have God's Spirit. If you don't trust Jesus, you don't have God's Spirit. Spiritual people here are people who trust Jesus and have the Spirit. Unspiritual people are people who don't trust Jesus and don't have God's Spirit. This is the big dividing line that runs through the whole of the human race. He continues in verse 14. Those who are unspiritual do not receive the gifts of God's Spirit, for they are foolishness to them. And they are unable to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Those who are spiritual discern all things and they are themselves subject to no one else's scrutiny. But who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Isn't that interesting there again? All this stuff about being spiritual because you have God's spirit. And what's the end of it? You have the mind, not of the spirit, but of Christ. The spirit, once more, glorifying Jesus. Paul says that the gifts of God's Spirit are foolishness to those who have not received the Spirit that comes from God. Uh, Paul's talking here about the message of Christ crucified. In the, uh, the previous chapter, he says it's foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. The point that Paul's making is clear. No one understands the gospel. No one gets the good news about the grace of God and the death and resurrection of Jesus without the Spirit's work in them. As Paul writes later on in the letter, no one speaking by the Spirit ever says let Jesus be cursed and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. People only become Christians, people only see the spiritual reality of their sin and of God's mercy and love through the work of the Spirit. Why does this matter? I hear you ask. Well, it matters because it clarifies what it looks like for the Spirit to make us witnesses to Jesus. We're called to take our part in Jesus' mission by faithfully speaking about Jesus and living in a way that glorifies him. But whether or not someone who we witness to actually understands what God has done for them in Jesus 
Whether or not someone who we keep trying to live in love toward and speak to about Jesus when we have opportunity actually gets the gospel and turns to Jesus in repentance and faith, that's just actually way above our pay grade. We can't make that happen. Uh, I suspect most of us have uh, friends and family members who we just really long to see become Christians. We should long for that, of course, out of love for them and also out of our desire to see our Lord Jesus glorified. Uh, Sometimes we have friends and family members and neighbours who actively resist. They don't want to hear anything about Jesus. They just make it clear. Don't talk to me about this stuff. Or they just actually get really, really aggro about it and make you not want to talk about it anymore. Sometimes they're just kind of a little bit disinterested, right? Because they know you and they're kind of like, why would I trust what you have to say about this? I know you pretty well. And, you know, you're just a regular person, you know. That might just be my family with me. I don't know. Sometimes, of course, they actually just don't get it. They've heard it. They go, oh, yeah, yeah, that's kind of nice. But they don't get it. They don't understand that it means something for them, that it means they need to trust Jesus, that it means it's something spiritually true about them that they need God's help with. They just don't get it. I remember when a friend of mine from high school, uh, sometime in year 12, uh, said the following words to me. Uh, He said, "Uh, look, Richard, I really appreciate uh, the way that you are thoughtful and serious about this, this Christian thing. I really appreciate the way that you try to actually live out your faith. I really appreciate the way that you try to actually have conversations about it. And I was kind of thinking, you know, if I was going to be religious, I think I'd probably pick Christianity. Well, that's nice, I guess. Uh, He was trying to be genuinely encouraging, I think. He was trying to say to me, there's something about you that I see and that I really like, and I know it's connected somehow to the fact that you follow Jesus. Uh, He was trying to tell me, I appreciate this about you. I love your authenticity, you know. But what I remember is that all it did is make me really anxious that I wasn't doing enough, that I hadn't done something right, that maybe there was something I hadn't been living out properly that would make him go, no, this must be true, that maybe there was some deficiency in the way that I had conversations with him about who Jesus is and what he meant to me and what God is doing in and through him in the world. Maybe I hadn't gotten it right when I answered some of his questions. Maybe there was something more I could or should have done. If that's true, it's still the case. He's still not a Christian today. The fact of the matter, of course, is that I never had the power to get him over the line in that way. That's not my job. That's the work of the Spirit. The job of revealing spiritual realities to unspiritual people is the job of God the Spirit. On one hand, I think that's a real comfort to us, actually. Chill out. You can't make your friends and family become Christians. You just can't. That requires change of the heart, change of spiritual sight in a way that humans just can't do for other humans. It needs God's work in people's hearts to do that. Of course, the fact that revealing spiritual realities to unspiritual people is the job of God the Spirit also gives us good reason for optimism. Because, you know, God's pretty powerful, heaps more powerful than you are. True. I'm just making sure you realise that. Sometimes we kind of think that actually, yeah, you know, God's just a slightly bigger version of me. No, 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 he can do stuff that you can't even dream of. God is powerful and he longs for people to know the Lord Jesus. This is why he sent his spirit into the world to empower us for the, for the mission that he's given us, to bring people to know Jesus as the spirit reveals spiritual realities to them. So we have all the reason for optimism. It might be that you uh, uh, can't get someone over the line. It might be that you're got someone, perhaps you're even thinking about them right now, who you've been working on for a long time. Someone who you've been looking for opportunities to speak about Jesus to or to show real love and care to, like Jesus has shown love and care to you. 
Maybe you've been doing that for years and years and years. Maybe they seem not to have noticed. Maybe they seem not to care. Maybe they're just kind of getting angry or annoyed at you for continuing to talk about this Jesus thing from time to time. You might get some things wrong along the way. You might even at times look pretty foolish by the standards of our sceptical culture. It might be especially true in a world like ours where doubt is the default and the things of God are seen as irrational and impossible to believe. But the Spirit is the one who will bring your friends and family to know Jesus. The Spirit, God says, is with you and working in you to make you a faithful witness. And he's the one with the power to make Jesus real to your friends and family. And so really, what that means, of course, right? You can see where this is going. Pray a lot. Uh, Pray that God will make you bold. Pray that he'll keep growing you in holiness so that you're a little picture of Jesus to those around you, that they see his love and care for them, just as Jesus has shown it to you. And pray that God the Spirit would do his work in their hearts to show them the spiritual realities of Jesus, to uh, to, uh, to draw them to himself. Uh, on that note, uh, I think it's kind of worth stopping to pray about that right now. Uh, so I'm going to do that right now. Uh, and I wonder if you've got particular people on your hearts, in your mind, as I say, friends, family members, neighbours, uh, who you might have been working on for a while, or perhaps even new acquaintances, so you've just kind of gone, oh, I think actually you know, I've got some kind of connection there and I'm wondering how I might uh, show Jesus to them. Uh, have them in your heart, in your mind, uh, and let's pray that God the Spirit will do his work in their hearts. Father, we long to see Jesus glorified. Uh, He is so good to us. Uh, He loves us. We know his love in our hearts. We trust him. We want to follow him all the days of our lives. And Father, because we love him, we want to see him glorified as well. Father, we want to see him glorified not only in our own lives, in our own boldness, in our own holiness of life, in our own community here as brothers and sisters in him. We also want to see Jesus glorified in the hearts and the lives of our friends, our neighbours, our loved ones. Father, we ask that you would do your powerful work in their hearts by your spirit. We know, Father, that we can't get them over the line. And so we pray, make us faithful witnesses and by your spirit do what only you can do. Father, change hearts by your spirit. Help people to see the spiritual reality of their own need for you, of their sinful state, of their own brokenness, and to see the even deeper spiritual reality of your love and mercy to us in the Lord Jesus. Father, there are some people who we've been praying this for for a long time. And so, Father, we ask that you would comfort and sustain us in our witness to them. Help us to keep being drawn to Jesus by the Spirit to know uh, his goodness to us. Help us to entrust those people to you in your power. And Father, we ask that you would glorify Jesus in them, that you would bring them to him, that you would open their eyes and change their hearts. And Father, we pray that you would do this in the power of your spirit for the glory of the Lord Jesus. Amen. So, the spirits at work in our hostile world, the spirits at work uh, in uh, in our, what's the last thing I just talked about? Totally lost my train of thought. Skeptical, you guys were listening. Excellent. In our hostile world, in our sceptical world, the spirits also work in what I think you might call our disconnected world. Uh, Read with me again from Acts chapter 4. We read some of it before. It's on page 888. Uh, We read that story in Acts chapter 4 of uh, the prayer that the disciples pray asking for boldness. Uh, Pick up with me from verse 31. Uh, When they prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, 
And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. Now the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one claimed private ownership of any possessions, but everything they owned was held in common. With great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as owned lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. Uh, Here's the continuation of that little story we started reading before. Uh, Jesus' followers are filled with the Spirit and spoke the word boldly. But notice what else the Spirit does. As the Spirit fills Jesus' people, he makes them of one heart and soul. He creates a new family. Uh, This is what we particularly investigated last week. The Spirit in us, creating in us a new community together, unified in all our differences to serve one another and serve the Lord Jesus. Uh, Here in Acts 4, being filled with the Spirit leads on to a new quality of life, shot through with the grace of Jesus in every sphere, with everyone playing their part. The unity that we have as a gift of the Spirit, the unity that we're called to maintain in the power of the Spirit, that's part of our witness to Jesus as well. Uh, Now, our world, of course, is is really well connected in all kinds of ways. Uh, You know, the wonders of technology and the interwebs, all that kind of stuff. Our world's highly connected, and yet our age is characterised by increasing disconnection. All the social researchers tell us that our communities are more divided than ever, more lonely than ever, more isolated than ever. And yet, in the midst of our disconnected world, the Spirit is making a community of deep love and care for one another. A community of generosity where people share what they have to meet everyone's needs community of joy in one another's successes and bearing one another's burdens. In the midst of our disconnected world, the Spirit is creating a family who is just what our world needs. The Spirit's God's life-giving presence for witnessing to Jesus, and he glorifies Jesus by making us witnesses to a life of connection to God in Jesus and to each other. Given the kind of life that flows out of the Spirit's work, it's no wonder that you'll often hear people in their stories about how they became Christians talk about the community that they experienced when they first came to a church. Uh, there's a guy who I used to be at church with. Um, he, uh, I don't even know how he turned up at church, actually. He kind of just wandered in one day. Um, he's this weird, older kind of guy. Um, he used to paint pornographic graffiti to make money on the side. That was a weird kind of thing. Um, he lived in a van, didn't actually have a home, lived around the, the corner of the park where Alice and I were living at the time. He kind of just wandered in and for some reason kind of stuck around. Uh, He was deeply isolated. He was deeply disconnected from the world around him. He had no friends. He had no family who were alive anymore. And he found something in our community. And, you know, as he hung around more and more, we poured more and more love and care into him quite happily. Like, you know, he's a lovely guy and we got to know him really well. He became our friend. Uh, He needed a triple bypass heart surgery at one point. Someone in our congregation just kind of footed the bill for the the bills that he had to pay. He needed somewhere to stay after his surgery because he couldn't just sleep in the van. The hospital were like, whatever you do, you can't sleep in your van after you've had triple bypass surgery. And so someone just kind of rented him a place to stay for a few weeks while he recovered. Uh, The change in him was really interesting. He he just kind of really wanted to give and give and give. Uh, The more he uh, was part of our community, when we had lunch and dinner together, he'd turn up with just like all of this food that he obviously couldn't afford that had gone far and wide across the city to find the best deals to contribute something to our life together. 
Uh, and you know what? It's been, uh, what, five years since I was last at church with him now, but he became a Christian just this last year. It was just this thing where, like, the community that he experienced of love and care, a community filled by the Spirit of God, just kind of, like, whittled down his defences over time. He was like, no, nah, full-on atheist, don't care about Jesus, but I like you guys. And then slowly, over time, he was just opened up to the love and grace of Jesus, to see his own spiritual reality, to see the reality of God's love and care for him in Jesus. You probably have heaps of stories like that as well. It might even be your story about how you became a Christian, that you saw this lived out, a spirit-filled community of love and care for one another, and it opened you up to Jesus. In a world of hostility and scepticism, it's pretty easy, I think, to just want to get on with life. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, if you're following Jesus, then even just getting on with life is going to mean your life looks a little different to those around you. You're just going to do things a little bit differently. The more you want to seek to glorify Jesus, the more you'll make weird decisions about your money, weird decisions about how you spend time, you spend a lot of time with those weird Christian people at church, you know. It's going to raise questions for people around you, and you're going to have moments where you're called upon to give an answer for the hope that you have, as the Apostle Peter puts it. As the Spirit of God glorifies Jesus in you and me, in us, making us together witnesses to God's grace, you'll have opportunities to speak to Jesus, to speak about Jesus to those who see the way that you live. How you go about your work, how you deal with stress, how you process your disappointments and your grief, how you engage with your family, how you love and care for your friends, and how we do all those things together. This is part of your witness, part of what the Spirit is empowering you to do to be part of Jesus' mission. God is taking disconnected people and connecting them to himself and to each other in Jesus by the power of his spirit. That's you. You get to be part of that in God's grace and kindness. So, let's wrap up and let's wrap up this uh, series that we've been working through. Here's what it is that we've learned over the last four weeks. The Holy Spirit is God's life-giving presence. His obsession is to glorify Jesus and he makes Jesus real to us through his presence with us and in us. God himself comforting us so that we can come home with him. In a world of hostility, the Spirit directs our hearts to Jesus who faced all the hostility of the world so that we could have peace with God. In a world of scepticism, the Spirit directs our hearts to Jesus who trusted unwaveringly in his Father's goodness even when it meant suffering, even when it looked like totally the wrong thing to do. In a world of disconnection, the Spirit directs our hearts to Jesus, who at the cross was cut off from the Father, so that we could be connected to him and find a place in his home as his children. And as we give our hearts to glorifying Jesus, the Father's promise is that his Spirit is with us, that his Spirit has your back as you seek to live to the glory of Jesus in the world. When you set your heart on the glory of Jesus, desiring to live for him, to speak about him, you're walking in step with God's spirit. And he promises that he'll fill you with whatever you need to be a faithful witness to the Lord Jesus. That's what the spirit does. That's who he is. That's what he's on about. And that's what it means for us to be filled with the spirit. Uh, last week, uh, during the Lord's Supper, uh, Eve and James performed a really beautiful song for us, a, a more recent song that's based on an old hymn uh, about the Spirit. And so I thought to finish off uh, the, the sermon tonight and this series, I might actually just pray the words of that song. I think it's really beautiful and sums up lots of what we've been hearing from God's Word. So would you join me as we pray?
breathe on me, breath of God. Fill me with life anew so that I may love what you would love and do what you would do. Breathe on me, breath of God, until my heart is true and pure. Until with you I have one will, as long as life and love endure. Breathe on me, breath of God, so shall I never die. By your side forevermore, to live with you the perfect life. Holy Spirit, fill us. Guide our wandering hearts. Fix our eyes on Jesus, evermore to adore him. Amen.